Cool. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this week's Load and Sports Outlier session. My name is Matt Pajak, co-founder of Load and Sports. Just a reminder to check out Load and Sports blog for info on our upcoming guest. Set the calendar reminders, and we'll see you right back here on Thursday night for Matt McLean, the last scheduled outlier session for the off-season run. A quick plug on what Load and Sports is. We are the affordable human performance data provider. We use non-exclusive, objective athletic evaluations for the purposes of tracking athletic development, informing athlete health, and identifying outliers. Our evaluations are non-sport, gender, skill level, or age specific. They are for anyone and everyone, just like these outlier sessions. If you're interested in learning more or getting in touch, visit our website at www.loadinsports.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Load and Sports and read our blog, which is also available through our website. Also want to throw a shout out to our friends at Yellow Box Macaroons, the first unofficial sponsor of the Load and Sports Outlier Sessions. If you're a fan of sweet treats, their hand curated coconut macaroons are a must. Continuing on the tradition of Jackie Weiss, Yellow Box Macaroons is the most delicious box of macaroons in the world. If you don't like coconut or macaroons, that's on you. Make your New Year's resolution macaroons. Find your next box on www.yellowboxmacaroons.com or on Instagram at yellowboxmacaroons. The outlier sessions have been created as a way to bridge the gap and create a connection between the aspiring and the achieving. All of our guests have a niche at the highest levels of baseball and are an outlier in their own right. We want to take some time to talk about long-term athlete development in the context of their experiences their processes for taking care of themselves, and get to know a little bit more about their personal interests as well. With all that being said, we know there are so many other places you could be on this Tuesday evening, and we want to thank you for being here with us. We hope you are able to take something you learn here and apply it in your life. Session's broken into two parts. For the first part, we have a series of questions for our guest. For the second part, we'll open up the floor for anyone who's listening live to ask questions for our guest. And now, one of the most exciting players in college baseball. He hits, he defends, he's the fastest player in the country, and he's getting ready to make another run at Omaha in a few short weeks. I'd like to introduce Enrique Bradfield. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been too long. Um, yeah, it has. <laughs> I, I was bummed that I missed you when you came out to North Carolina back in the fall, but... Yeah, obviously it, it lined up where I was out of town that weekend. Um, but you want to just kind of start by providing a little background on yourself, you know, how old you are, where you're from. Um, you know, we'll get into where you went to high school later, but, you know, kind of talk a little bit about where you're from. Yeah, so um, I'm 20 years old and I grew up in Hialeah, Florida. And uh, I have an older sister, Yari, who played division one soccer at american university so uh i guess you could say sports runs in the family um my father played baseball at a small naia in south florida uh, st thomas university pretty much when i was little i loved playing i loved playing all sports uh my first sport i actually played was soccer because my sister played soccer so i was introduced to it and i then got introduced to baseball played uh t-ball for my first year realized my my parents realized that i was a little advanced for the t-ball setting so i went and i didn't play another year t-ball i went ahead and i jumped to coach pitch uh and i was younger than everybody 
And then I started playing coach pitch and I was the, always the youngest kid on the team up until I was 14 years old, pretty much. That's awesome. Uh, before we really get going on things, uh, who's faster, you or your sister? <laughs> oh, well, my sister retired now, so I guess I can take the 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 uh, throne for it. Before, we used to race all the time when I was smaller, and she would definitely, she would beat me. But now, I don't think uh, even her prime self could hang with me. That's crazy. What position did she play in soccer? She was a forward, uh, an attacker. So she was up in the front. She was scoring the goals, doing most of the damage for her squad. So it was pretty much just bomb it over the top, make sure she's on sides, and it's off to the races. Yeah, pretty much uh, something like that. I'm pretty sure she played on the. She might have played on the right side, being left footed. And my family, uh, my mom, my sister, and I are all lefties, and my dad's the only righty. So that's something that we have in common. That's kind of is rare, I guess you can say. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Do you do you write left-handed too? I do. I do pretty much everything left-handed. I can write right-handed. Um, when I was young, I broke my hand, and nobody was going to do my schoolwork for me, so I learned to write right-handed. A true lefty. So, yeah. The southpaw himself. I think it's fun. It's unique. It's different. I love being lefty. Yeah, I'm a little jealous. I'm uh, right-handed for everything, just like everyone else. <laughs> the only the only thing I do uh, right-handed is I cut with my right hand. True. So like scissors, I I would cut with lefty, and uh, I couldn't couldn't do it straight. So I made the the switch, and I was way better. When you said you cut right-handed, I wasn't thinking cutting scissors. I was thinking like cut in the bag <laughs> oh no no <laughs> that I definitely that right leg. <laughs> yeah oh all right well a couple things i do want to call out before we really get going here um we are going to send out an email in the next day or so for attendees to claim their free poap nft for the session for those of you who aren't familiar a poap is basically a digital ticket stub if you're interested in receiving the email fill out the google form that we've posted in the outlier session chat all right, let's uh, let's get warmed up a little bit on LTAD. You kind of touched on it a little bit with um, you know playing soccer and all that, but um, Loden Sports is in the process of building out an LTAD. We're going to open this up with a couple of our staple LTAD-related questions about emotional well-being and ignition. Our LTAD will be inclusive, holistic, and it will be a philosophical reference guide for developing athletes of all sports and levels of aspiration. In our eyes, everyone is an athlete. Yes, even the parents and the coaches. So we all can and find enjoyment in sport in a number of different ways for the entirety of our lives. Let's hit on emotional well-being and the importance of gratefulness. There are little things we can do every day to bolster our emotional well-being. It's like a muscle. It needs to be trained. This is something that everyone can do every day. It's great for shared card rides or dinner tables. Enrique, share with us three things that you're grateful for today. Uh, definitely in, in today's world, just grateful for uh, health. That's that's the most important thing in uh, in the modern world. I think for one uh, to be grateful about your family and friends, and uh, just to to be able to be in the position I'm at right now. I'm in a time in my life where I'm uh, I'm having the most fun in my life, 
I'm doing it with a lot of special people, especially uh, at Vanderbilt. The the environment up there has brought me a lot of joy, and it's something I genuinely love being around. It's like even if we don't have anything going on, guys will be at the facility in the locker room hanging out, and it's definitely uh, something I'm grateful for. Yeah, I mean, you got to be on cloud nine right now, and uh, you know it's it's so important to have number one and two for you there. Uh, health and family and friends to, to enjoy it with you. Um, my three things for today are a little bit more outside the box. I do this every day. So, um, you know, some of these things are a little bit more specific to the day. Uh, but I had an 845 uh, pre-made appointment at the DMV. So shout out to pre-made appointments at the DMV. Otherwise, I'd still be there. Uh, Fred Williams for hooking me up with a mic for a much cleaner sound versus the computer audio that I used to do these uh, outlier sessions on. And then number three is that we we're able to make this conversation work because I know you're about to be fully locked in in the next week for another run at Omaha. So uh, glad we we're able to get you before you head back to snowy Nashville. No, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, this is awesome. So our, uh, our second LTAD-related question is the jet fuel for why we're talking to you today. Let's talk about ignition. In our LTAD, ignition is a key pillar to athlete development. It's what lights the fire for the developing athlete to want to participate in sports. And you talked a little bit about your older sister. You talked about soccer. Um, so, you know, we'll kind of hit on that a little bit more here. But who or what in your life helped to drive the interest in the sport of baseball for you when you were younger? And kind of talk about you know, some of the people involved or maybe some of the moments where the sport really grabbed you? Definitely my father, uh, him just introducing the game to me. And uh, I would say him realizing how well I was catching on at such a young age and just pushing me to keep going and, and to, to keep practicing. Uh, specific moment. Literally, I would watch Marlins games uh, while I was younger. And this, these are the Marlins teams with um, Hanley Ramirez, Jorge Cantu, Mike Jacobs, Dan Ugla. And just I, I would take a, a small mini base and a bat and I had a helmet and I would imitate all of their stances. And I would run up and down my living room to the front door of my house, to my living room, and I'd slide into the base. I had this small little uh, blue bouncy ball. I think it's like a racket ball. It might be, and I would throw it against the door. I just throw it against the door and catch it, and I would just keep going, literally changing the color of my entire front door. And of course, in the moment, my mom probably wasn't a fan of that, but my dad talked to her and was like we need to let him keep doing that he's figuring things out so i definitely my dad uh i can say is big ignition for why i do what i do that's awesome uh i i hope you know that you're a bit of a white whale when it comes to you know <laughs> one being a marlins fan but also being uh a fan of baseball to the extent that you are uh at the level of baseball that you're playing at, you know, a lot of college guys you talk to, or even the high school guys that are getting ready to get in the draft, it's like, Oh, who's your favorite player? And they name, you know, Derek Jeter or, you know, whoever David Ortiz, but you know, you're, you're in your calling out Jorge Cantu and Mike Jacobs. Um, 
that's pretty awesome. So just wanted to, you know, appreciate that for a second. Uh, I can also appreciate the, uh, you know, kind of upsetting a parent over, you know, doing stuff in the house. I, I remember when I was younger, I used to throw football up and make diving catches on the couch in the room right above my garage. And my dad would be down in the garage and I, he would open up the garage door and he'd yell all the way up the stairs for me to stop. So, um, shout out to your dad for letting you discolor the door. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you, you talked about it a little bit before with soccer. Um, do you think that it could have been any other sport other than baseball? Or do you think, you know, kind of what was, what was the moment where you decided, all right, it's gotta be baseball. Um, over soccer or maybe another sport that you played growing up? So the only sport I really never played in full was football. My mom would never let me play football. I have, uh, I love basketball. I still love basketball too as well. I think if there was any other sport it could have been, it would have been basketball. Not because of, of like how good of an athlete I am, but just for my love for the game i would say of basketball um i remember i would play baseball when i was younger but i played baseball through a certain point and i'd go and i'd play basketball but i also had a hoop in my backyard and i'd be out there every day pretty much four or five hours just shooting creating scenarios it was like i knew every little bounce i needed to take in my backyard to be able to to be able to make the basket and i thought that was Looking back on it, uh, I look at that experience and it's like, man, I wish I would have played basketball a little bit longer, but I didn't. And that's probably in tune because of where I'm from, South Florida, with uh, the the weather that we have. You, you can play baseball year round. So I didn't have to play another sport, I guess. So many questions on the basketball front, but first off, when did you stop playing basketball? The last year I played basketball was uh, eighth grade, so I played all through middle school. Leading up to that, in middle school, I ran cross country, I played flag football, and I uh, played basketball and soccer for a brief period of time. So I'm assuming that you still shoot around for fun and maybe play pickup uh, in your baseball offseason. Uh, do you have? I do. Do you have the sweet lefty jump shot? No, I used to, and I don't anymore, and that kind of upsets me because I went a long period of time without picking up a basketball. So I kind of, kind of lost my touch, and and during the off season, I would go on the court and uh, I'd sit there and just try and try and get some feeling back in the jump shot. I would say the best thing I can give you is a good drive. If I had to, if I had to put my, uh, let's say I'm I'm creating a player on NBA 2K. Yeah, scouting or uh, on Enrique on the basketball. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be a slasher. That's the play style I'd have. Okay, outside shooting, probably average, below average, but the drives is is where I'll get you explosiveness. Uh, a really good hop step, I would say. I would say a, a plus hop step, hop step. That might be the best part of my game. Well, you need that so that you can get around those seven footers in the lane. Definitely. Even when uh when we play at school now and our pitchers are six six, six seven. 
they're 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 tall to get around too. For sure, and you definitely don't want to be running into them. <laughs> no, <laughs> not me. Um, all right. So, grew up in South Florida. We talked about the Marlins. I'm assuming you're a Heat fan. Yes. Okay. Yes. Actually, um, uh, since I've been be back home, I went to. Yeah, I went to two games. Uh, recently, since I've been home, and, and uh, you know, I missed them. When I'm out of town, and I spend a, a majority of my time in Nashville, I don't get to to do things like that. So I enjoy coming back and and going to um, sports events and just live things that I can sit down and enjoy. Yeah, I think the Heat kind of have a an interesting little history, and and you kind of appreciate them a little bit. You know, obviously they had all that success with D Wade, and then LeBron comes to town, and the big three, and all that, and. You know, they have their success with LeBron in the big three, and then LeBron leaves. And, you know, 2020, they go to the finals with Jimmy Butler, and, you know, they're finding ways to continue to be, you know, one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, even since LeBron's left and since D Wade's retired. So, um, <laughs> probably the uh, the bright spot for South Florida sports, huh? I, I would say so. You know, they always find ways to reinvent themselves. Uh, they're led by a group of guys and uh, Pat Riley, who's been around forever and he's done a great job. And Eric Spolstra, I think is definitely underrated as uh, as underrated as a coach can be in the NBA for what he's been able to do. Even this year, uh, right now, with the COVID and, and everything that's going on, just being able to to manage and keep teams and uh, keep the team in in the games with short a bunch of guys due to injury and uh, COVID protocol. So I think that's special. Yeah, I just feel like that's not so, something you see a ton of in the NBA. It feels like it's very volatile. You know, you have a star, you have a couple guys around him. Team does really well. Star leaves, star gets hurt. One of the two team drops to the bottom of the league, and they've kind of done a good job of, you know, keeping their head above water in the in between. Um, and then competing with, you know, out having to have uh, Giannis or Steph Curry or LeBron or whatever that may be. So let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about your high school experience, the 2020 MLB draft. Uh, you played at American Heritage in Plantation, Florida. It's one of these gem high schools. There aren't a ton of them around the country, but here and there you find these high schools that have so much history and so much tradition. There's lineage there in more sports than just baseball. You played with 2021 Olympian Tristan Cassis, uh, World Series champion Eric Hosmer is an alum, Super Bowl champion Sony Michelle is an alum, top 10 NFL pick in 2020 college football champion Patrick Sertan Jr. is an alum. kind of goes on and on. What is it like to go to a high school like that? It's definitely special. It's like um, I, still, I still go back and I'm there every day training. And the group of guys that are training, whether they're they're at, at the college level or uh, professional level, is, is special just to be in a room with those guys. And the stories you hear from the time that they spent at school, they're, they're amazing stories. So definitely I, um, I wouldn't change a single thing about uh, my high school journey. Yeah, and, and we just mentioned it. You played with Tristan Cassis. 2018 first rounder and a top prospect for the Red Sox um, and led by Tristan American Heritage had an opportunity to play in the National High School Invitational in 2018 which is the biggest high school team event sanction event 
in the country. It happens every spring up in Cary, the USA Complex. Um, I remember it was the first time I watched you play, and I think you were just a sophomore patrolling center field. And I don't know if my memory's fuzzy or not. Uh, once you get over the age of 27, you have to work a little bit harder for your memories. But I remember you covering some ground and making a diving catch in the outfield. Um, did that actually happen? And <laughs> uh, whether it did or it didn't, what was the experience like up in Cary um, when you were a sophomore? Uh, I'm not sure. I I want to say it did happen. That's what that's it's high. It's a uh, a high chance, a high percentage that it did happen. Um, but playing in Cary was awesome. Uh, I got to experience it twice. So I was actually there my freshman year as well in 2017 and 2018. And if we would have had a baseball season my senior year, uh, we would have been there again in 2020 as a senior. But it was just awesome. It's um, I look at it as a special experience that even now we go back and we talk about uh, the, the guys on the teams talk about all the time because – you, you know, you go to a tournament, you're playing the, I think it's like the 16 best teams in the country, all from different parts of, uh, of the the country. And it's literally just baseball related. That's all you're worried about. And it's funny because I've met so many guys there or played against guys there that now I'm either teammates with in college, went to the same school, or uh, we'll play each other in college as well. So it's definitely special. So it's a great time. Yeah, maybe I was thinking 2017. Did you guys play that team from New York, Poly Prep? No, we didn't play uh, Poly Prep. My freshman year, the only team I can remember playing is Windermere from Georgia. Oh, yeah, that was... uh... Brady House ended up going, or Brady House ended up at Winderbarrow, Winderbarrow, whatever it is. He ended up at that school like a year later, and then obviously, you know, you know who Brady House is. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, you talked you talked about like all of these different relationships that you have with players that you played against at the NHSI. I mean, it's so packed full of talent. Um, what did you take away from those experiences? Obviously, you went twice, especially when you were younger, playing against all those high-level players at the NHSI. I think for a younger player, you know, and you talked about playing up in a conversation that we had before this got going, but, you know, when you were younger, playing up when you are you know, T-ball or beyond that, it's kind of like playing up when you're at that event, you're playing against a bunch of draft guys, you know, potentially seeing a draft arm and you're only a freshman or a sophomore. So, yeah, what, what did you take away from all that? Just the, the experience. Uh, overall, my being able to, to be surrounded by those people, it gives you some insight, I would say, of, uh, of what my future could look like. That's, that's definitely how I took it. It's like seeing those guys as seniors and either get drafted, go on to play college baseball, and make an impact. And knowing I, I have something like that coming up in my future w- with whatever route I choose to go, I think that's the biggest uh, the biggest thing I would take away from those events. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool that you got to do it a couple times, and that's actually kind of wild that you almost had an opportunity to do it a third time. But, you know, obviously the circumstances 
that presented themselves presented themselves and um you know it didn't happen but um obviously you're at vanderbilt a school with as much tradition as any in college baseball and frankly a juggernaut kind of working towards that alabama of college baseball status if if they're not already there i feel like being at american heritage you probably had no shortage of suitors like people knew who you were you know you talked about it you were at the nhsi as a freshman and a sophomore and you were playing how did you choose Vanderbilt, and when did schools start calling on you? I would say pretty young. Uh, nowadays, I don't know what's too young because the whole amateur baseball scene has has shifted pretty much every year that uh, I've been around. But so I started talking to schools my freshman year. I would say my fall, my freshman year. So I hadn't even really stepped on a high school field at that point uh, for, for American heritage. And I just, I didn't want to rush the process. Uh, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the young players rush the process because it, it looks so good to be committed to a school. And, uh, thank God I didn't, I had some good guidance between my, my family, my, my travel ball organization. And the way we handled it is the decision was going to be there for when the time was going to be right. And I just wanted to build a relationship with uh, with universities, uh, get to know the coaching staff. I wanted to make sure it was the right fit for me. Uh, and I did that. I spoke to Vanderbilt for pretty much almost a year before I, I uh, ever took a visit. Before I had spoke to Vanderbilt, I had no idea even what it was. And fast forward a year later after uh, talking to Coach Mike Baxter, uh, the head recruiter and our hitting coach. I take a visit, spend three days on campus, and I fell in love with it. And it was only my my dad and myself on the visit. And I was ready to commit right then and there. And my dad was like, we should wait. You might want to go see somewhere else. I came home, and I remember telling my mom specifically, that felt like home to me. And once I, I said that to my mom, she knew it was the place for me. And three days later, I uh, called Coach Corbin and Mike Baxter, and I told them I was, I was ready to commit to them. Well, we talked about it before with the weather and it, it being a little bit colder up in Nashville, especially at the beginning of the season. So I commend you for taking the leap and, and going to, and experiencing something else outside of South Florida. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, it, it'd be pretty easy to just, you know, phone in to University of Miami and be like, hey, I'm coming and, you know, done deal, you know, especially with Tristan two years ahead of you or a year ahead of you. But, um, yeah, I don't know. what I got to ask, was Miami on you? Yes, they were. But um, to be honest, my sister being older than me and having gone through the same process of uh, choosing a school – to go play athletics she uh she was really the guiding force in she was the guiding force in how my process went because she had already experienced it and i think that was going looking back on it so important for me uh just for the fact that she gave me the simple advice that people that stay home in their hometown grow up differently than people that go away and experience something completely that they different that they've never experienced and that stuck with me 
a long way. And I still look at that's advice I give to younger players when they talk about uh, going to play at the next level. And I took that advice and it's been the best advice for me. Some some situations are, are different, but in my situation, it was it's what worked for me and it was the best thing and I wouldn't change it. Yeah, it's it's a different experience when you get on a plane and go to school. Um, yeah, I, there's there's another player out in California. He just got drafted by the Cubs. Uh, he kind of had a, a whirlwind of college process, but he started at a you know California school and then he transferred to a Florida JUCO, and that was a huge jump for him, flying across the country and living in a state that he had never been to before. Um, but you know, there's there's kind of like that uncertainty to it. But then when you go do it, um, it's pretty cool. You know, you get to experience a completely different culture and really see how diverse the United States is. And in your case, you're doing it with a group of, you know, 40 to 50 brothers, basically. So, you know, it's, it's almost like you have your own family, you know, at Vanderbilt experiencing all that with you. So that kind of makes it a little bit easier. Ultimately, when you trans, uh, transition into pro ball in a couple of years, you know, you're going to have the same experience where you're just going to get shipped off to some random small town in America. And, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the whole thing all over again, but you're not going to have, you know, the same. So it's it's good that you kind of have like that instead of just dump, jumping into the deep end, you know, you're, you're more wading in. So um, I do want to talk about your high school, junior, spring and summer. You're on everyone's radar well before your junior spring got rolling. You received an invite to the PDP League at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. It's one of the premier opportunities to get scouted for the draft and a chance to play for Team USA. And then during that high school season, you break your back early on. What went through your head when you got hurt knowing the opportunities that were ahead for that coming summer? Yeah, so uh, definitely a lot of uncertainty. Um, I can say the buildup to the season was uh, as normal as I can, as normal as, as it was for me in high school. There was nothing out of the ordinary. I just started uh, experiencing some lower back pain. It progressed uh, pretty fast. And I went and got it checked out. And I found out I was going to miss uh, around three to four months, spend some, some time in a back brace. And that, you know, it sucked because I was looking forward to it. Like, that's the one time where really you, you get to have the most fun, that and, and the summer. And I didn't know if I was going to be a part of uh, either or, or either of them, I can say. Uh, so it was hard for me, but I was able to stay uh, positive. And, and one, one thing I, I remember clearly is uh, calling Coach Corbin and uh, telling him about my injury. And him putting me in contact with with my teammate, uh, a teammate from last year on the team, Matt Hogan, who's now at uh, South Carolina, and we had similar injuries. Matt Hogan's, uh, I think, maybe two or three years older than me, and we had similar injuries, so we got into contact, and uh, he gave some great advice. He told me how his process was, and I was able to to go to the doctor and be like, Hey, I want this to my process to be like this. And I had a great doctor and, um, pretty much three months to date. I came back. I played the last nine games of the season into playoffs. And the, the first time I stepped on the field again, it was so special. 
um, it was just, it was amazing because I didn't know it'd be that soon. And I was expecting it to be much longer, but just getting out there and, uh, being, being with my boys again, that was, uh, a joy to me. Well, shout out to coach Corbin for connecting you with, with Matt Hogan. Cause obviously you go through something like that and it, all of a sudden it becomes very lonely and you feel like you're on the Island. So, um, to be able to connect with someone who also is going through that, who also is playing baseball at a high level. I think, you know, there's definitely some comfort there. Um, I remember hearing about the back break at the offices um, with USA baseball and just, you know, <laughs> when, when you hear broken back, you don't, you're not thinking like stress fracture. You're thinking like a cartoon, you know, where like the back, <laughs> the back snapped in half and you're just kind of like, ah, I hope he's all right. You know, um, but to, you know, obviously you came back and it was, you know, full steam ahead for the summer. Um, you went out and you did it all. PDP League, East Coast Pro, the big showcases. You came up just a bit short on Team USA and there was no PGL American nod, which I know is a big deal, more so for the kids than anyone else. Um, did that piss you off a little bit? Like take us through the summer, talk a little bit about how hectic it is. And then like on the mental side of that, because it's something that a new wave of 300 plus kids are doing every summer. And I think there's a lot of mind games with the, which events did you get invited to? Which ones did you not? Just kind of, how did you deal with that? Yeah. So, uh, definitely the PDP event was something I valued, uh, highly just because it was 80 guys from all around the country in one spot playing baseball for three weeks. It was competition. And, uh, I feel like that's what drives me is the, my love for competition when I step on the field I'm not playing for anything else but to win and it doesn't matter how I win as long as I win that's what uh what I'm there to do so that is pretty much what drove me uh PDP was an awesome event it was structured definitely a lot like my days have been in college and will be in the professional level uh so that was a great event going to USA uh, past PDP with the 40 man, I wouldn't say getting cut. There was a, it was a hit at the time. I looked at it differently. I had some, uh, I was emotional about it because it was something that I had never experienced. And I felt like I deserved to experience with my performance, but, uh, they didn't see it that way. And they had a different plan for the roster and that's what they decided to do. So I would, Basically, my mindset after that was uh, coming back to, to Florida, taking my time off after a long summer and uh, focusing on my senior year. I don't think the the PG, the no All-American for PG really did anything for me. Uh, if I'm being honest, I don't put much stock into uh, perfect game, All-American events or in, in certain events. Uh, they don't really hold much value to me they're very cool and they're awesome uh for a lot of kids to get out there and experience it but i at that point i had already played against uh the best players in the country on multiple occasions so being not being invited to uh to that event didn't really do much for me yeah and that's that's kind of good to hear you know and it's i think that's a really interesting perspective you know or a question to ask to get your perspective on that. Cause for some kids it does. And I'm sure you saw it. It does play mind games with them a little bit. Like, Oh, I didn't get invited to this event and they're beating themselves up. 
Um, but you kind of spoke on it a little bit with your team USA experience. Like I, I can tell you firsthand, you know, having been under the hood and being around the people making the decisions, at least within that office, there's so much that is out of the control of the player. And, you know, I think for you to be able to, you know, obviously you're going to be emotional in the moment, but kind of process that a little bit and be able to move on without any, you know, you know, ill feelings towards whatever it may be. I think, you know, that's really mature and uh, definitely the right thing to do. Cause again, it's a lot of it's just out of your control. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot that goes into those processes as far as uh, the coaching staff and uh, the management making the decision uh, for USA. I felt, of course I, I deserved and I had played and I'd showed them enough to be on that roster headed to career for the uh, the World Cup, but they didn't see it that way. And they, they did what they thought was best for the team. Did I agree with it? No, but at the end of the day, it was a, it was a fun experience. And, and, you know, I was rooting for them the entire way because those are people, the people on the team are people I built relationships with uh, the entire summer, the, the past summer at 17U. So, of course, I was rooting for them. Uh, I wanted to see them to see them win and, and bring home gold. Um, so there was, there was no uh, hard feelings, I would say, at all. Yeah, and there's, there's bigger opportunities ahead. And, you know, obviously, whether it be at the college level or in pro ball, you know, USA has some pretty big teams that play, you know, above the U18 level. So um, I do want to make a note that Thursday night uh, we have Matt McLean on, and he – is a two-time first-rounder who didn't make it past Tournament of Stars, which was the equivalent of PDP League at the time. So he didn't even make it to Trials. And then he also wasn't a PG All-American or an Under Armour All-American or any of those things. Um, and he was a first-rounder out of high school, went to UCLA, and then was a first-rounder again in this past draft. So um, that's a note to all the kids listening to this that listen to Enrique. Um, you know, as cool as those things are, you know, <laughs> Those aren't the things that matter most. But um, each of our previous guests have been impacted by coronavirus in different ways along their journey. You are our first guest where it wiped out your high school draft season. What went through your head when your high school season got shut down? Uh, at first, hearing the high school season shut down, we thought it was only going to be two weeks. Uh, so we kept training. We kept lifting. Uh, my high school coach, Bruce Avon, actually – took uh his his garage and made it a weight room and that was sort of a, a safe haven for us where you go in there we'd lift we'd get our throwing in we had a bullpen in the back there's the cages so we 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 had a lot of space to keep getting our work in and we we're just preparing for when when we got that call that um that we would be able to go and play again and uh of course it turns out it wasn't like that and it was sad um those are guys that I started, I became friends with when I went to Heritage as a freshman, and I saw I saw everybody grow. I grew myself as well, and uh, I feel like that Heritage team my senior year was the best team that never was. I feel like we were better than the 2018 team and the 17 team. That was the 17 team had uh, Mark Vientos, the Met second rounder, on it. Tristan was there. Uh, Corey Acton was there until 18. We had guys, high-level guys, and I feel like 
my uh, 2020 team probably was better than than all those teams. So it sucked. We finished 10 and 0, number two in the country, and uh, we didn't get get a chance to prove ourselves against the best as we kept going. So um, I was a little hurt just for uh, just knowing that it would be the last time some kids on our team would ever get to step on a baseball field. And I was hurt just knowing that uh, I wouldn't be able to to finish the season with with my best friends. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about it with the college guys where everyone got an extra year of eligibility. But, you know, you, you, to your point, you know, most of those guys on a high school baseball roster, like that's it for them, you know. Um, and it's it's much bigger than, you know, the opportunity ahead for the handful of guys that are going to go play college ball or go to pro ball. So, um, yeah, huge bummer. But um, let's talk about the draft a little bit. Uh, 40 round draft becomes a five round draft. You guys played 10 games. Were clubs on you that spring, or was it a foregone conclusion that you'd head to Nashville after, you know, the season pretty much got wiped out? Um, I held all my, I had all my, my, uh, in home pro meetings and, uh, I had done some tests for some teams and, and, you know, I had a, a certain price that, uh, I was going to have to, to, to pick and, uh, my family and I, we sat down, we uh, had our number, and once it came closer to the draft, uh, I valued myself higher than some teams valued me, and that's okay. Um, I had no problem with that, but I also wasn't going to pass up an opportunity to be part of uh, an historic program for just any any little chance to go play pro ball. I know that's waiting in my future, and there is no rush. I feel like college was a needed step for me. And uh, with that being said, I, I decided it'd be best if I went to college. Yeah. Having Vanderbilt in your back pocket is, is a nice little bargaining chip. (laughs) Um, And then obviously it paid off in a big way for you. And we'll talk about that here in a second after, you know, what you did with your freshman year last year, but let's uh, let's transition and let's talk about what you unleashed on college baseball which I'm sure didn't surprise you any. And on my end, I know more than a handful of people who weren't all that surprised to see it either. You hear a lot of advice in college recruiting that says go somewhere where you'll get to play, where there aren't three guys in front of you on the depth chart, et cetera, et cetera. Feels a little bit like a jab at the way Vandy's roster is these days because there's no place in the country where it's more difficult to get on the field than Vandy. The roster is deep at every position. What would you say to the line of thinking of go somewhere where you can play versus where there are three guys in front of you on the depth chart? I think uh, it's a complex way of thinking. There's uh, different ways you can go about it. And um, if I'm being honest, I looked at it as an opportunity to go be a part of a, a special group of guys. I do. I would give the advice to certain players: go where you're wanted, and uh, go where you know you'll play. And um, I do think it's important for you to take your time in the process and not rush, and, and make the best decision that's possible for you. And whether you see yourself at a school with a a deep roster, or you see yourself going in somewhere and playing day one. I feel like there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to that topic. 
for sure. Yeah, and as a freshman in 2021, you started 67 of the 67 games that Vanderbilt played. You're the only player on the entire roster to play in every game. You certainly didn't waste any time in making an impression on the coaching staff when you got to campus. Talk about your freshman fall a little bit before we get into the good stuff in the spring and everything that kind of went into you earning a starting job right out of the gate. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of learning went into my freshman fall. What you saw uh, in freshman season, the freshman spring season, isn't what happened in the freshman fall. It took a I had a, a huge learning curve, I would say. And I feel like a lot of freshmen uh, in new environments do. You know, the, the game sped up on me. I struggled. I struggled a lot. I wasn't a good bunter. I wasn't a good base dealer in the fall. I didn't swing the bat well. I was nervous. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that, that go, in, go into uh, being in a new environment and trying to prove yourself to, to coaches and uh, your teammates. So it took a lot of time. And um, a lot of days I went back to my room and I had no idea. I would think to myself, like, should I really be here? And that's a, that's a real feeling, even from, uh, even from guys who, who have had a, a lot of success. It, it's more common than not. People have that. And um, that's my biggest advice to our freshmen now is we have guys that, oh, I didn't have, didn't have that good of a day and they're hanging their heads. And it's like, if you guys would have been around and seen my fall my freshman year, you would know you guys are doing great things. Um, so yeah, what, what happened in, in spring was not the, what, what I started at, at fall and it took a lot of time and work, a lot of hours to get there. Yeah. And development's nonlinear. I think that's something that continue, continually needs to be hammered home with everyone, whether it's parents or kids or whatever it may be, because everyone looks at it in the moment where, you know, after a bad day, they think it's only going to continue to be bad. I think as human beings, we're all like that. We're all kind of wired that way. We don't view ourselves on a nonlinear graph. We view ourselves in the moment and what's the recent trend, you know? So 0 for 4 at the plate and didn't make contact, you know, it doesn't feel good going into tomorrow. But, you know, it's it's good that you're around to kind of give that perspective and and share that. Like, look, it's not easy, but, like, through all of these struggles and everything that you're going through right now, you're growing, you're learning, and it's putting you in a position that you're going to be able to succeed. And without it, you're not going to get to where you want to get to, which in your case was – SEC freshman of the year consensus all-american and a rolling school glove winner uh, it's certainly a lot easier to play with the wind at your back as a freshman do you feel pressure now for a repeat performance after what you accomplished last year no um I don't feel any pressure uh because I don't put pressure on myself I don't have any expectations for this year um I'm gonna treat it the same way I'm gonna prepare every day uh, leading up, I've been preparing. I had a, a good fall, I would say. Um, I've taken some 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 steps to further progress in my in my game, uh, and I'm just looking forward to being out there and competing. I feel like a lot of people would put a lot of pressure on themselves because they have expectations for what they're gonna do, 
And that's something I try and stay away from. I'm confident in, in my ability. And I know no matter what I do this uh, spring, it would never be another season like like my freshman year for good or for bad. So uh, I don't take much stock in uh, in putting pressure or expectations on myself. I think that's healthy. And I think that's a very mature take on <laughs> that question. So uh, kudos to you and definitely don't, expect any kind of major fall off so uh you're not going to win sec freshman of the year again but <laughs> it uh it, it might be player of the year instead of freshman of the year i'm not putting that expectation on you but no one stole more bags than you last year i think that's something you you pride yourself in a little bit you were successful on 47 of 53 stolen base attempts how important is athleticism on a baseball field both on the bases and defensively um, it's very important, I would say. A lot of it's instinct. Um, a lot of it can be taught, but there's some. There's a lot that is very natural, and very natural to me. Uh, so I can't say I've been taught everything. There's a lot of uh, my ability that was natural, and uh, it's just helped kickstart my development when it comes to base running and defense, those are two things where I, I pride myself because a lot of people take look at baseball now in today's world and I have to hit, I have to hit. And yes, you have to hit, but you can make an impact playing defense. If you take pride in your game, you can make an impact getting on base and uh, being a, a really efficient and good base runner. You're, you're going to struggle hitting where one area where you could never really struggle or you can improve your your ability to really never struggle and be present is on defense. And you can struggle hitting and you can find a way on base, whether it's via walk, bunt, and you can make an impact there too. So those are two things where I really take a lot of pride in. I, and I know, speaking of things that you take pride in, um, this is one that just from watching you play, and I watched you play a fair amount last year. Uh, shout out to ESPN Plus for covering the SEC. Um, this is something we touched on with Gwen Allen Hill Jr. Let's talk about being your authentic self because there's a tie between authenticity and leadership, and I feel like that manifested for you last year, and I feel like that's definitely something, at least from what I can see on TV, that you take pride in. There's no recipe for being a great leader. If there was, we would all manufacture great leaders and solve the world's problems, which the world has plenty of problems. So um, obviously there's no recipe for being a great leader. Um, experience is an important aspect of leadership, but it isn't the only variable. It became apparent watching you guys last year that despite being a freshman, you exhibited a lot of leadership qualities and you certainly exuded confidence on the baseball field. Talk about what leadership means to you. No, that's a that's a, uh, a good question. Leadership means a lot to me. Um, you can be a leader, and there's different ways people can lead. And that's uh, I feel like being a leader sometimes is is misconstrued because you're not always going to be the loudest voice um, in the locker room. Let's say some guys lead mostly by their actions. Some guys are more vocal, but you gotta you have to have a mix of both. I think to make you a special leader um your actions gotta 
match your words and uh guys have to see your your intentions your your thoughts your actions um that's i feel like that's the most successful way to lead is uh through your actions with a with a mix of being vocal because guys want i want guys to look at me and, and be like i want to go to war for that guy because when i look at at my teammates i want i want to say the same thing it's like i want to go to war with that guy when we step on the field i want to know that that guy has my back and uh it's just that feeling of confidence that a team can can build through so many different moments there's there's no one answer to building building those uh that feeling there's just a a, a list of so many things that you can you can talk about but just being able to to look at my teammate and be like I know he has my back that's just a special feeling and I feel like a lot of people uh forget that exists or don't emphasize the the value that it can bring to your team yeah and you know you you talk about it there you know all these different variables right and you know you try and be a mix of a handful of them. There, there's another one in there that's pretty evident in the way that you talk about just about everything. And it's the attention to detail and it's the care. You, there's a certain level of care that also is a really important piece of leadership that, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to watch you play because I feel like that's, you know, that's not something that you can fake. You can't fake care, you know? Um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about playing with emotion. This is one that is a really touchy subject in baseball, something that's a lot of fun to watch. And it's something that I feel like you do really well, kind of goes hand in hand with being your authentic self and too much emotion sometimes can knock you out of focus. And I don't feel like that's the case with you specifically in baseball. A lot of coaches, fans, commentators, whatever it may be frown upon players expressing emotion. And it's obvious that your coaching staff loves the way you play and express yourself. Can you give us any insights on maybe how they create an environment that encourages that authenticity? I can say Coach Corbin and the rest of the staff has, uh, they want everybody to be themselves. And I play with a lot of emotion I always have, and that's just who I am. That's who I am off the field. Um, Emotion, like you said, can be bad at times if it's taken to a certain level and I understand that and uh, I'm still growing and learning and figuring out these things as well. But I think it's, uh, it's something that, that is, it brings a lot to the table, especially in a team setting, a big moment in the games hap- happens. And if uh, a player is very emotional about it, it may, may uh, spark a fire in the team or uh, get guys going but at the same time, when you have those big moments, you have to to learn as like how to how to come back to earth and settle right back into the mix and get right back into competition. Uh, I would say emotion for me is definitely one of one of my uh, my driving factors. But it's also knowing the mix as to when I can be emotional and when I shouldn't. And how how I need to settle back in to make sure I'm not losing my edge in competition. 
because I'm emotional. Yeah. And I think, and I'm, I'm going to ask you about this right now, uh, June 23rd, 2021. It, it was tremendous to watch because you watched the whole thing unfold. Um, maybe in the seventh inning, you strike out in a big spot against Stanford in an elimination game in Omaha. You come back to the dugout, camera catches you in an emotional moment. How did you refocus after that? Because a couple innings later, bottom nine, two outs, you're down by one, and you jump all over – you know, I think it was a fastball and barrel it to right field, drive in the, what was that the tying run or the go ahead run tying run? Oh, that was the, the tying run. It, yeah. The tying run, but that's, that's two innings after you strike out in a big spot and you know, you're obviously emotional after that. So just kind of talk about what probably felt like an eternity for you playing in that game, you know, those two innings, how were you able to refocus and put yourself in a position to come up in the ninth inning and deliver the game tying hit that ultimately won? You ended up winning that game and you headed to the final after that. Yeah. So uh, from the beginning of the game, that game was just emotional. Um, I'm sure if you find highlights of the game, you'll be able to see we, we didn't get off to a good start. Uh, we were sloppy. We, we didn't handle the ball. We made a uh, a couple key mistakes. Gave up some early runs. Found ourselves down, I think, four nothing in in uh, the fourth inning. And you know, we had a we had a decision to make if we were gonna if we were just gonna let ourselves keep falling or if we were gonna pick ourselves back up and, and uh, start moving forward. So we we start moving forward. The seventh inning. That's a, that was a big spot for me. Uh, I never faced Brandon Beck. Brandon Beck, um, I know he was short off rest, that he had pitched a couple days prior, I'm pretty sure. Um, didn't know what to expect. But that at bat was big for me. Uh, you know, there's no guarantees, but I, I, I honestly feel my heart if I didn't have that at bat or if that, that at bat didn't go the way it did, I wouldn't have found myself in the spot. I was in the ninth inning. Um, just after that bat striking out, I swung on a curveball in the dirt, and I didn't realize the ball got away, which if I would have realized, I would have definitely made it down the first. So I was a little emotional about that. I threw a helmet. You know, like at that time, I was st- I'm still a freshman. I'm, I'm young. I'm still learning a lot of things at the same time while I'm, while I'm out there. Um, shout out Coach Baxter. He looked at me and he, um, he gave me gave me a face of confidence and told me that the game was going to come right back to me. And two innings later, I, I go to the plate in a, a big spot, tying run on third after uh, Javi Vaz draws probably the biggest walk of his career and the biggest walk of uh, of our season. Spencer Jones hits a ball in the five six hole and legs it out. And they put me in that spot and walking up to the plate. I remember uh, specifically, there was one thought in my mind is I could either be be somebody, uh, a hero in this moment, or I'm just making the last out of my freshman year. And that's the way I looked at it. But, uh, you know, there's a, there was a lot of things running through my mind. And But once I got to the plate, the last thing I remember really is uh, taking a deep breath before I got into a box. And I said, well, let's do it. And I stepped in, 
I was actually looking for a fastball uh, middle away because that's what I knew I could do the most damage on. And first pitch was a curveball out of his hand. But seeing I had just struck out on a curveball, I was able to pick this one up much better than I did the last one. And I, I, I saw a, a high tunnel. And Brendan Beck's curveball is, was honestly very – it's definitely above average, 12-6. It's sharp. It's fast. Um. So I was able to to see it out of his hand a little better, and that's the last thing I remember. Honestly, I blacked out. Next thing you know, I'm on first base, and uh, I'm full of emotion. <laughs> yeah, first base, you know, pumping your chest, whole dugout's going crazy for you. Um, yeah, and you're right, Beck. You know, that's that's one of Stanford's best best arms at the time. Has really good stuff. I think he's in pro ball now, right? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'd, I'd have to look it up, but I'll take you off the hot seat here. Um, you know, we're, we're at just about an hour here. I got a couple more questions for you and it's okay. We'll go a little bit long cause you know, you've, you got a lot of cool stories to share and all that. So, uh, but I, I kind of want to transition away from baseball to, well, maybe not entirely away from baseball, but a little bit about your heritage. Your family is Panamanian. You don't see a ton of Panamanians in baseball. Talk a little bit about what that means to you. Is that something you're cognizant of? Um, you know, obviously there's some all-time greats like Mariano Rivera, Rod Carew. Carlos Lee was pretty good. Oddly enough, Bruce Chen, Panamanian. But you don't see a ton of them at the big league level today. Yeah, so just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so um, it is something I'm cognizant of. Uh, it's important to who I am as a person. Um, my father and, and my grandparents, you know, my my entire family was born there, grew, uh, grew up there. My dad came to the United States when he was 18. Um, and my mom came at a much younger age, but uh, it's part of who I am. So I definitely think it's important. Um, a lot of people don't know that about me, but, uh, I definitely think it's a, it's a driving, driving force in, in who I am as a person as well. I think it's really cool. Um, cause you know, obviously when it comes down to Latin players, a lot of people assume Dominican Republic, they think Cuba, they think Puerto Rico, um, they very rarely think Panama, uh, Panama. You know, and yeah, that's not to say that there aren't really good players in Panama right now, because I know there are. Uh, I know that they're always one of the toughest team teams for the 15U national team for Team USA to play against. Um, oddly enough, but yeah, I think I think it's really cool. I don't think it's it's something you see a ton of, and um, yeah, I think it's something you should be proud of. Obviously, you know, you're playing with a little extra oomph, um, but uh, kind of transitioning away from your heritage a little bit i i just have to ask because it's it's been your twitter banner for a handful of years what is the black background with a rose what does it mean yeah uh i haven't changed my twitter banner in a while and honestly i love the black the black rose i mean the, the red rose with the black background i don't remember how i got it or what was going through my mind when i put it up there but i love it I love how simple it is. 
um, to me, it, it just resembles, you know, there's a, there can be a lot of dark and there might be one rose that, that flourishes or, or one flower that flourishes. So that's what that means to me. And, uh, I love it. It'll probably be my Twitter banner for, for a long time. Yeah, you I normally, stick, you got to stick with it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I normally change my, uh, my background. So my profiles every couple months I'll update it. But, uh, that's something that's been a staple on my Twitter for years now. So I think, I think I will keep it. Yeah. I feel like I almost associate it with you at this point. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think I saw like a, a rose on a black background somewhere else. And I was thinking like, I, I immediately thought of you. Um, oddly enough, maybe that becomes your, your, uh, your signature, your signature thing. I don't know. But, um, last question, you know, are you a Nashville hot chicken guy? And I'm, I'm heading there in February before the season starts, unfortunately, and need some wrecks on the Nashville food scene. So I don't know if you got anything for me. So I am not the biggest Nashville hot chicken person because i don't really like spicy food so i'm not a person who loves hot chicken i do love chicken and i still eat chicken i still love going um food wrecks yeah where do i start you have to try hattie b's hot chicken that's definitely a, a staple of nashville uh you like sushi i love sushi uh, Oku Nashville. It's a very good restaurant in uh, I think it's Germantown. It's like a small small part called Germantown, but uh, Oku is a great sushi place. One of my favorite spots in Nashville. I'm Birthdays. Something right now that that might blow your mind. And I'm I think it's the same one, but I I actually have uh, dinner plans tomorrow night at a place that's walking distance from my apartment in Raleigh. That's called Oku. <laughs> oh, it might be. Yeah. So if that's the one, then uh, fist pump. <laughs> it's good. <stuff>. Yeah. <laughs> it's real good sushi. I would say probably one of the, the better places I've had sushi at. Yeah, that's saying something. For Besides, I grew up in South Florida. Yeah. We just came from eating sushi at a, at a place down here and but I still, I still would give the nod to uh, Oku. It's a, a nice restaurant. It's an, a fun setting, and uh, delivers on the food. Well, I got Hattie B's written down. Um, I will go as mild as I can go, in the spirit of you not loving spicy stuff. And uh, Oku is in the back pocket because I'm with you. There's uh, never a bad time for sushi. Um, You're right. <laughs> I do want to open it up for some of the listeners who are in here to ask questions if they have any, um, whether it be kids, parents, whoever's in here. But one last thing I forgot about before we turn over to the crowd, as we get ready for the spring, are there any freshmen you want to shout out or put on before the season gets going? Like crystal ball. Is anyone poised to be this year's Enrique Bradfield for the Commodores? Man, uh, we have a lot of good young freshmen that are hungry. Uh, specifically, when I look at one guy, I look at Davis Diaz, an infielder from California. Love watching him play. Um, the way he came into fall and how fearless he was 
how fearless he was stepping in the box. Normally, you can tell who's a freshman and who's not because you, you see a, a level of uh, they have some nerves to them when they get in a box in a scrimmage. And this kid had none. He was competing from the, the first day he walked in there. He's a great defender as well uh, in the infield. So I think Davis can impact for us. When I look on the pitching side, I would definitely say Carter Holton from uh, Georgia. Carter's a left-handed pitcher, smaller frame, but man, what a what a far uh, a powerful arm he has, and his ability to to change his his rhythms on the mound when there's somebody on and deliver the ball consistently in the strike zone. I think he he has a chance to to be uh, very special for us as well. Yeah, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but I'll tell you what, he diced everyone up uh, that junior sprint or that junior summer for him um, when he was in high school. <laughs> yeah, and he could hit too, uh, which is not something I knew when uh, he first arrived on campus. But seeing videos of him and he hit a ball, pimping the home runs, and he had like 16 home runs, I think, last year in high school. So, uh, maybe not not doing so much damage with the bat at the next level, but uh, sticking with it on the mound, I think the kid is something special. Well, who knows? Maybe he'll have a Todd Peterson moment. <laughs> maybe. The You'll never know. You. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. That was a, a fun time in uh, college baseball. Was pretty funny well enrique we covered a lot in an hour and 10 minutes keep doing you keep playing with emotion it's fun to watch uh can't wait to see you back on the field in a couple of weeks here one bag for each digit on the jersey this year let's see you get 51 um thanks for taking the time to hop on thank let's, you let's do it again well thanks for having me uh i definitely i appreciate and i'm grateful for this opportunity and this conversation um i've always loved what you what you do and uh how you work and i'm grateful for the relationship that we've built over the years so thank you